0: six years. (laughs) And I'm kidding about that. It only took me four. And so during those years that I was at Churchill Elementary School, or Southside Elementary School, during our school schedule, we had an activity period every day. Some days we would go to music, some days we would go to PE. And on this particular day, we were headed to the library. When we walked, Miss Coleman our librarian said, now, boys and girls, everyone have a seat. Before we, walk, before we check out books today, we are going to watch a video. And so everyone found a place to sit. And Ms. Coleman said, today we are going to watch a video on the Dewey Decimal System. We clutched ourselves in excitement. We were thrilled to know what the 200s were and the 400s were. And so as Ms. Coleman the video, she went over to the light switch and turned off the lights and then looked for a place to sit in the library during the video. There just happened to be an empty chair next to me. Ms. Coleman made her way through the darkness and went to sit in the chair right next to me at the table and then I cannot explain what happened next. The devil himself took control of my right arm. And when Miss Coleman started to sit, I moved the chair right out from under her. Down to the ground she went. She said one word, out. I tried to, I'm so sorry, I don't know what I was, out. I knew what that meant. I had seen lots of friends go stand outside in the hall. And so I was waiting by the door of the library thinking to myself, What have you done? What is wrong with you? Are you an animal? What have you done? Miss Coleman did not come out to tell me what my punishment was. I waited, what seemed like forever. I know that it couldn't have been more than just a minute or two, but it felt like forever another teacher began making her way down the hallway. My mom was the bookkeeper for the West Point superintendent's office. And so every school employee who received a paycheck had my mother's signature on that piece of paper. So, And when you're in West Point and there's only one permenter family there, everybody basically knows who you are, especially school people. And so as this teacher made her way down the hallway, I did not want her to stop and ask me, Gary, what have you, what are you in the hallway for? What have you done? And so I slipped across the hallway to hide in that room until she passed. It was the women's restroom. (laughs) But I did not care. I walked over there, got into a stall, stood on the toilet, waited until I heard her footsteps, walked back in front of the library thinking Miss Coleman surely will come out now. But she did not. After just another moment or two, which again seemed like eternity, I walked down to the office. Miss Gibbs was one of the secretaries there. And I said, Miss Gibbs, I am sick. I need to go home. (laughs) And I was not lying. I was incredibly sick. Now, I know this is going to seem odd to some of you. I liked going to school. Now, I didn't want to do homework or things like that, but school was where my friends were. I didn't want to be home all day, so I never pretended to be sick to get out of going to school. So Miss Gibbs did not even hesitate. If I said I was sick, she was confident that I was sick. She called my mom at the superintendent's office. My mother did not say, Are you sure he's sick? She knew something is wrong, and so she immediately came over to pick me up. On the way home my mom asked son where are you sick is it your head your stomach all over I am sick all over and I was when we got inside the house my mom said well get out of your school clothes and let me you know take your temperature and so I went back to my bedroom pulled my school clothes off put my pajamas on buttoned a little flap up in the back And then I went into my mom and dad's room because they had a television in their room. And if I was going to be home the rest of the day, I wanted to be able to watch TV. The thermometer was in my mouth when the telephone rang. My mom picked it up. She said, hello. Yes. Oh, he did. (laughs) We'll take care of it. Get up. No, mommy's sick. Get up. And we left my mom and dad's room and went into my room for two reasons. One, that's where the belts were. Two, she didn't want any blood in their room. (laughs) My mother wore me out. And then she called my daddy. We were sitting at the kitchen table Daddy came in the house. Mama said, tell him what you did. Well, Daddy, it's kind of funny, really. And then when I told him right back to my room, we went. My dad used the exact same belt on me that my mom did. I could tell because it was still smoking. (laughs) And that day was a very painful day for me. But not as painful as the next day. The next day, I had to go back to school. The next day, I had to face everyone who surely by then had heard what I had done. And on top of that, I had to face Miss Coleman. Because my mom and dad said, let me tell you something, young man. The first thing that you are going to do when you... Leave this or when you get to school tomorrow is you're going to march your little self there into the library and you're going to tell Miss Coleman that you're sorry. And I said, no, I'm not. And it wasn't because I wasn't sorry. But the thought of facing Miss Coleman again, I could not, I could not bear that. And they said, yes, you are. I said, I am not, I'm not, not only am I not doing it tomorrow, I am never going to the library again. I will be illiterate. I'll go to Ole Miss if I have to. (laughs) I am not ever going back. And my parents held up the belt and I said, I'll go. (laughs) The next morning, both of my parents took me to school. And they walked behind me. They had arranged for Miss Coleman to get to school early. And I mumbled an apology to Miss Coleman. I was incredibly sincere. I don't remember what I said, but I was very sorry. The rest of that school year, every time library day came, I was sick. Because I had to go back to the place where I had failed so miserably. When I would go into the library and look to check out books, I could see Miss Coleman out of the corner of my eye coming down the row to talk with me, but I would immediately go to a new row. Because I felt terribly guilty. Even in high school, when I would drive past Southside, the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grader, when I would go past that school building, I would be reminded of how badly I had failed. I would think to myself, I bet the teachers are in the teacher's lounge right now. And to that permitter boy, you know he pulled that chair out from Erlene Coleman. He's probably in juvenile detention now. The night that I graduated from high school, 178 of us marched into McAllister Field at West Point High School. Now, I don't mean to share this other than just to make this point. It should have been the best night of my life to that point. I was valedictorian. I know that infuriates some of you, (laughs) thinking good-looking and smart. So, So that was an achievement. After we received our diplomas, we marched out. And in between the school building and the football field is a big grassy area there the concession stands are. That's where people were gathering to to congratulate, to pat on the back, to shake hands, to take pictures. And I was out there, you know, seeing friends and family. And then through the crowd, who did I see making her way to me? (laughs) Miss Coleman. Well, by this time, I was much more mature than I was in the fifth grade. And so when I saw her coming... I squatted down just like this (laughs) and I disappeared through the crowd and I looked back and I saw her. He was right here. But the first thought when I saw her face was not congratulations. It was out. (laughs) That memory was awfully painful because I had failed and I knew that I had failed. And every reminder of it triggered regret and guilt and you should have done better and I'm not the only one. Anybody who has any honesty about him or her would admit and confess that you have similar scenes. Times that you said something that if you could in any way go back and and unsay it, you would. Wishing that you should have taken the opportunity to say something and you didn't losing your temper in an embarrassing way, posting something on social media that you deleted but people took screenshots of and now they've got it forever. We all have scenes that we would like to undo. What do we do when in the darkness of the night we're rethinking the day and saying, why did I do that? Marriages that didn't work, kids that didn't turn out right. Mistakes we made in school, friendships that we lost. What is the good news for people who have failed? I want to read two different passages. Would you first find John chapter 21 verses 15 through 19? Find that passage first. We're going to read it second, but I want you to go ahead and have it so that when we finish this Matthew passage, you can can turn immediately to it. So find first John 21, 15 through 19, and then either put your ribbon there or a little bulletin or something like that. And then when you find John 21, then flip back to Matthew chapter 26. This seems very prominent in Scripture. Jesus had warned Peter exactly what was going to happen the night before he was crucified. Peter denied it. He said, Jesus, there isn't any way that I will deny you. Now, these other disciples, they don't love you the same way that I do. But I really love you. And so so what you're saying that I will deny you three times, Jesus, it'll never happen, but it did happen. Read with me, please, in Matthew chapter 26 beginning in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again he denied it with an oath. This time he's vowing, he's promising, probably even cursing. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You really are one of them since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is an awful scene in Peter's life. And as far as he knew, this would be the last encounter he ever had with Jesus. I believe it's Mark's record of this passage that says as Jesus was on trial when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And there was that stinging moment of I have failed. Standing by this campfire... I've denied even knowing Jesus three times. Turn with me, please, to Matthew. I'm sorry, to John, chapter twenty-one. By this time, Jesus had died on a cross for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, but instead of ascending immediately into heaven, Jesus spent time with the disciples just to confirm, "I really am alive. This is not just wishful thinking. I'm not a figment of your imagination." This is reality. And so beginning in verse 15 of John 21, there's some detail before that, but I don't want to take, the, take up time with that, but you can read that later. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Peter's scene is our scene. And hopefully both chapters can be a part of our lives the first part of the scene is where peter denied knowing jesus christ would wouldn't associate with him would not say would not say hey i'm with him you're crucifying him unfairly unjustly he denied even knowing him so that he could escape this a similar lot similar fate and then later in john chapter 21 In the verses just prior to what we read, Jesus was making breakfast on the beach while the disciples were out fishing. They saw the fire. They smelled the smoke. And someone recognized, maybe by his mannerisms, maybe by the outline of his body, someone said, that's Jesus. Peter dove into the water. He didn't even wait for the boat to row back to shore he dove into the water swam towards shore and there he met Jesus at a campfire where Jesus was cooking fish the last time Peter had been at a fire he denied knowing Jesus now at a campfire he had an opportunity to say Jesus I want to be back on the right path let me share some ideas that I hope will help you they've been very helpful to me first all of us have an issue of denying that we failed. There, there are people who polish up their images, they shine their appearances, and they try to give off the, the idea, I've got it all together. I, I'm not struggling, I'm not, I'm not falling, I'm not stumbling. And as a result of that, we, we put out something that isn't accurate. We all fail. There isn't a single person in this room that is not hopelessly and woefully short of the person that God calls us to be. Every single day, it's not just that it's a weekly occurrence or a monthly occurrence. Every single day, we do not do what we should do, and we do what we should not do. Some people don't like to admit that. They they have an issue confessing their weakness, their failures, They don't like other people to know that they are struggling. That passage that I read right back at the very first part of the service from 1 John chapter 1 says, Hey, if you say that you do not sin, if you you say that you do not sin greatly, you are deceiving yourself. And on top of that, you are calling God a liar. We all are in the same boat Every one of us, we are not the people that God calls us to be, but we try to act like we are. During my college days at Mississippi State, do any of you remember the post office has moved now, but does anybody remember when the post office was in the basement of the old YMCA building? One, One morning in between classes, I went to the post office and opened my post office box 2369 and pulled out the mail that was in there. And as I was walking from the post office down to Hilburn Hall, which is where my next class was, I was reading a letter from a friend of mine who had graduated from West Point but went down to Millsaps College. And so it was Martha Lott. And so as we were, Martha Caskey now, and so as we were walking, as I was walking on that sidewalk down to Hillbun Hall, in front of Magruder Hall, the sidewalk was cracked and I tripped on the sidewalk. Now you tell me, what's the very first thing that I did? Looked around to see if anybody had seen me. When I tripped on the sidewalk, I immediately looked to see if anybody saw me. Since I was the most popular person on campus, everybody was watching everywhere I went. And so after I tripped, I immediately looked down at the sidewalk. This is an engineering school. Why can't we pour some concrete? It's the exact same thing baseball players do. A ground ball goes through their legs. Dad, why didn't you buy me the glove without the hole in it? We don't like to accept blame. When we do wrong, it's somebody else's fault. Well, now here's what... I... We do better on the path to restoration if we can say these three words. I was wrong. We have an issue denying our f- failures. The second thing that I want you to see is that we can learn from our failures. We don't have to keep repeating the same old mistakes. We don't have to keep falling in the same old ways. If we take the time to do some careful reflection... thinking about what led us to get into those situations... Invite people into our lives with some honest accountability. What we can discover is is when I get into these situations, when I am feeling overwhelmed at work, that's when I really get irritable with my family. I need to be careful during those periods. When I am around this certain group of people, that's when my moral standards drop a little bit. I'm a little looser with my language or my behavior. I need to be careful when I'm around that group of people or maybe limit my time with that group of people. We can learn from our failures. Now, look here in John chapter 21. In this passage, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The swagger was gone. The pride was gone. Before, before Peter said, now, Lord, I love you more than all of these other disciples. They, n- nobody else is as close to you as I am. It, others may deny you, but I won't. He was, he was uh, pridefully standing. What 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 12 says, Is therefore let him who thinks he stands be very, very careful he's about to fall. We need to learn from our brashness. I I will never do that. And Peter here in this second passage doesn't say, Jesus, of course I love you more than all of these other disciples. He's grieved and he's broken because he knows that the last time he was out of fire he said i don't even know him and jesus was giving him the chance three different times to say jesus i do know you and i do love you and these words don't have the pride the arrogance the brashness in them one of the very best Steps that we Christians can take is to start peeling back the layers on our most painful chapters and say, How did I get in that position? What did I do? What did I not do? Why was my decision making so flawed? Why did I respond that way? Why didn't I respond this particular way? I have a friend, my friend Marty out in Las Vegas, who says, learning from our own mistakes, uh, learning from others' mistakes is a painful lesson. But learning from our own is even more painful. Sometimes we can watch what other people do And say, man, I I see the pattern of their lives. I I don't want to be in that position. And so we step back and say, well, then I need to get out of that. But sometimes we find that our lives are what other people are looking at, saying, I don't want to do that. And we need to learn from those times. The last idea that I want you to see here is that we can live with our failures. We can get past our regrets and guilt. We don't want to deny that those scenes happened. We don't want to pretend like we never have messed up. What we want to do is to say, God, how do I move forward? And there are three really important sentences that I think help us move forward. One is, Jesus loves us anyway. Every single one of us has relationships which are conditional. And there are people who approve of us, affirm us, encourage us based only on the condition that we act the way that they want us to act. If we don't meet this certain standard, if we don't bend to their expectations, then they cut off contact. They don't want to have anything to do with us. Even if they do have con- uh, contact with us, it is cold, it's distant, it's aloof. We're trying to prove ourselves to them. Jesus is not that way. Jesus loves us despite our faults. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, This is how God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us without the promise of now, if you will act better, then I will die for you. Jesus loves us anyway, knowing every failure that we ever have committed and every one that we will commit. Second, Jesus picks us up again. We don't have to say, now, Lord, if you will will just give me a moment, I I will get things straight, I'll get cleaned up, and then I'll really start serving you again. He says, why don't you let me do that? You can't pick yourself up. You're wallowing in the mud. Let me pick you up. You can't clean yourself off. You don't even have the equipment to do that. Let me do that. Jesus had experienced that, or Peter had experienced that before, had he not? Do you remember the night that Jesus had fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then he sent the disciples to the other side of the lake. He said, I I will meet you over there. He started walking across the water on the lake. Peter said, Lord, I want to walk where you are. Jesus said, come on. Peter took a few steps. We don't know how many. But then he turned around and started looking. He saw the, the wind blowing and the waves crashing around him. He doubted and into the water he went. His words were not an elaborate, Oh, Father, I thankest thou for the lesson of learning to trust thee. He said, Jesus, save me. I love what Mark recorded for us. The very next word is immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and he pulled Peter out of the water. When we fail... We don't have to worry about cleaning ourselves up or getting things back right. Jesus will do that for us if we will let Him. Jesus loves us anyway. Jesus will pick us up again. And then third, Jesus will continue to use us. Do you see this scene in this passage? After Peter's confession of love, Jesus said, Peter, there's still work for you to do. Feed my lambs. I haven't given up on you. I don't think that you're no longer qualified to be one of my disciples. I don't want you to avoid my lambs. I'm telling you, Peter, you have something that I want to use. And so if you're confessing your love for me, then go feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Sometimes we mistakenly believe God will never use me again after I lost my temper that way. God doesn't have any more plans for me now that I have messed up his first plans. God is not the God of second best. He's the God of second chances. And he will use us again in the work that he intends to accomplish in our lives. Ms. Coleman passed away. I never went back to that school To have a conversation with her. To say look. I don't really know what happened in the fifth grade. But I have been carrying this around since then. Can we just resolve it? But we didn't resolve it. But it wasn't her fault. I remember even in that fifth grade. First of all. On the day that I went back to School, after I'd pulled the chair out from under her, after I mumbled my apology, Miss Coleman squatted down, looked right at me, and said, I forgive you. And she kept coming for me, but I kept running from her. When we fail, the reason that there's isolation from God isn't His, it's ours. And I never had the opportunity. Well, I take that back. I had the opportunity. I never received the restoration that Miss Coleman wanted to give me. Don't let that be true for you. Just as Peter met Jesus out of fire, he will meet you in this building today. Restore you, get you back on your feet affirm his love, pick you up and clean you up so that he can use you again. I hope you will allow him to do that. We're going to sing a closing hymn or a hymn of commitment, actually. I'll be standing here at the front for just a moment as we think about God's restoring work in our lives. Now, listen, there may be people in this room who have never received Jesus Christ as Savior, That Jesus who restored Peter is the exact same one who died, was buried, and rose again so that we could have eternal life. And perhaps there are people here today who have not yet received Christ as Savior. Maybe you already know him, but you are battling regret, guilt, feelings of failure in whatever way God's Spirit speaks to you. I'll be available to talk with you down front. Let's all stand and sing together, please.